0: Well, when I was a teenager, y'all, y'all hear a lot of stories about it as a teenager. You, you must be thinking to yourself right now, how did he have time to fit all this in when he was a teenager? Because I tell a story about when I was a teenager almost every week. But when I was a teenager, one time I was spending a night at my grandparents' house in uh, Mississippi, down there in the Delta. And uh, it was a Saturday morning, and I was asleep, and I heard this monstrous rap on my bedroom door. And I heard my papa. Big old Italian guy. He was had these big bushy eyebrows. He was kind of scary. Stayed mad all the time. Had this big size forty eight belt he wrapped around his waist and he pulled it up all the way all the way up to here his polyester pants. You know, <laughs> had this bad habit of thumbing his finger through his nose and doing this right here. I don't even really know what that meant. <laughs> but he banged on the door, and he was he had this Italian way of speaking, and he said get your coolie out of the bed there, boy. I need your help. And he stomped off and you can hear him stomping across the heater grates in the house. And I I wake up and I'm like, look over at the clock and the little hands barely touching the tin, you know. Back in them days, you know, I didn't get up to the crack of noon typically as a teenager. And so I got up and I my hair was all crazy and I put on some clothes and walked out and I heard my Mimi talking. She said, Papa, leave those let those boys sleep. They need their sleep. But Papa never listened to grandma. She, he never listened to a word she says, so I knew I better do what he said. So I followed him out, and my little brother was already out there, and he had my little brother digging a trench out in the cotton field. And I get out there and he explains that the toilet is stopped up in the house and he's found this sewage pipe that that drains out somehow out in the cotton field and his big plan is he's going to start digging at the end of this sewage pipe and dig his way back until he finds the clog okay <laughs> my brother had already been digging he was had mud all over him at least i hope it was mud <laughs> And so we dug, and we dug, and we dug our way back towards the house. We finally got to the carport, and the pipe disappeared on the carport. And my papa was sitting there. So he was suggesting we go get a sledgehammer. And then finally somebody broke in with some common sense, and my little brother says, Papa, isn't there like a septic tank between the toilet and here? And about that time, my grandmama stepped out the front door, and she says, Nello? Let them boys alone. Won't you call a plumber down here? And I just knew he wasn't going to pay attention to what she said. And he never did. But this one time he said, yeah, you might be right there, Mary. I'll go to town directly. And he left and got a plumber. The plumber came back, and, and he spent about 30 seconds looking at that, what he dug up out in that field. And he went inside the house with a plunger and plunged the toilet. In three minutes, he had it back flushing. Now, how many of you know that we can spend our whole life digging from the wrong end sometimes? (laughs) Today's message is entitled, Dig Deep. Dig deep, if you're following along on your sheets there. Christians, if you're a Christian, you're probably saying, man, I want my nation back. You're seeing the darkness and the craziness going on in the world today, and you're thinking, I did not know that humanity was this deprived. I didn't know that within the heart of man it could be so desperately wicked. I thought I was the only one. No, but we look and we say, how did it get like this? And we're we're crying out in our hearts for revival. We want change. And many people are going out trying to make change. We've got teams of lawyers suing the people when they try to take our rights away. We show up at rallies and we hold signs and we protest and we argue and we get on Facebook and social media and put out all these posts arguing with the worldly people, trying to make to, to rationalize with the ungodly so that we can make a difference. But I'm trying to tell you today, that if you're merely digging out there in the cotton field, in the flesh, you are never going to get to the heart of the matter. Turn to Second Chronicles 7.14. Christians, for the most part, seem to be operating in the flesh in America. And we're digging from the wrong end. We'll never get there like that. Now, this is a very familiar scripture. It says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land. Now, when I first read that scripture, I heard people quoting it all the time. And I said, I would love if America would do that. I would love if all of America would come together and pray and turn from their wicked ways and repent and and humble themselves, get our eyes on Jesus. But I just don't see it happening. I mean, we had a president recently declared that we're no longer a Christian nation, and he may be right. Probably a majority of Americans now do not really seriously trust in Christ as their Savior. And so I thought, there's no way that as a nation we're going to get the majority of the people to see things our way and to humble themselves and pray. But then the Lord took me back to the scripture, and He didn't say if the American people will humble themselves and pray. He said, if my people, if there not but three of us here, if my people, who are called by my name, if the Christians will humble themselves, and nothing humbles you like a good old-fashioned fast, if my Christians, they're called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Are you kidding? Do you have to tell the Christians to turn from their wicked ways? Yeah. Because we have been entangled in the yoke of bondage that God had once set us free from, we have compromised with the world. And you can't tell a lot of Christians from the non-Christians these days. What if we, if the Spirit of God within us was to reignite and light a fire in us, that's supposed to have not ever gone out, but, but rekindle the fire, and just the people of God would do this, He will hear from heaven. He will hear. He will forgive our sins and he will restore this land. I'm telling you, we need to dig deep. We need to, we need to dig on the right end of this matter. He says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. What place? He says, for I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy. No, do like this right here, because you are a temple of the living God. If so be that Jesus be your savior, you are a temple. This place is a temple. We as a people of God, as a church, as part of the body are the temple of God. And he says, I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy. Holy. Boy, that's a big churchy word. That's a scary word. But holy just means separate. To be separated unto God. To be different. To come out from among them and be ye separate. That's holy. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy. A place where my name will be honored forever. And I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. You're dear to God's heart. It's difficult. We're like, what was his name? Uh, That was living in Sodom. Lot. Just come to me. We're like Lot. Our our souls vexed by living in this sick sick world that we're living in. Is increasingly wicked and flesh ruled world. I saw on uh, one post recently was a picture of a guy holding a sign and it says if Jesus comes back we'll crucify him again and I believe they're serious. I believe that this world would crucify him all over again even knowing what they know they're they, they're trying to remove all vestige, all mention of the name of Jesus Christ. They are crucifying him afresh afresh every day if they can. And I I picture them like the mob in the garden that came to take Jesus away to crucify him. They're coming at night under the cover of darkness. They got their swords and their stuff and they're coming to get him. And they're ready for the betrayer to betray him. But the problem is, is the church Like the three disciples Jesus brought with him in the garden. He said, pray and watch with me one hour. That you fall not into temptation. But the church is like Peter and James and John. We're asleep when the mob is coming. We have not prepared for the mob that is coming. Then old Peter when he finally wakes up, oh, oh, yeah, I got you, Jesus. And he pulls out his sword and he begins to fight and he cuts off Malchus's ear. He's the, one of the people in the mob. And immediately his first re, uh, reaction to a mob coming to take away what is his is to fight in the flesh. Just like we, when we see them taking away our rights as Christians, are pretty soon we're, it'll be, it won't be so easy to meet in public like we're doing. They'll be trying to censor what we're saying. It's on the way, people. And the first thing we want to do is fight them in a court of law. Take them to, to trial or do this or do that. And we get the sword out. And we want to fight it in the flesh. And Jesus says, put your sword away, Peter. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. He says, that's, the, not the, that's not the way the victory is won. You're digging at the wrong end, Peter. Joel 2.12 says, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now. Now. Look at your neighbor. Say, Now. Turn to me now while there is time. (sighs) Do you feel a sense of urgency in America? In our nation? Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Not that we're supposed to be down and crying sad people but crying and mourning over the sins of our nation. He said, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. See, don't dig from the outside. We want to do everything on the outside. But he's trying to get down into the heart of the matter. Say, dig deep. Dig deeper than the clothes and the show that you're, that you're angry. Or the show that you're upset. Are you upset and angry enough to dig into your heart and to come with weeping and fasting and mourning? Are you upset enough to do something from the right end? Return to the Lord your God for He is merciful and compassionate and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And He's eager to relent and not punish. God's not willing that any should perish. He's long-suffering and patient towards us. He doesn't like what's going on in America, but, but he's, not, he's not wanting to bring judgment to America. He's hoping that his people that are called by his name will rise up and tear their hearts and fast and pray and weep over this situation and not just go along with it. Does it is, is it important enough for you to actually get down into your heart? Now, last week, you know, I called for a 21-day fast beginning the first day of February. A time not just of fasting, but of fasting and prayer. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go. But the reason, it's not just something I decided to do. It's something the Lord has been putting on my heart for some time that I have prayed out. It's been confirmed by many witnesses. Other people come and saying, Pastor, I'm I'm hearing that we need to pray. I'm hearing that we need to fast. And it's been confirmed. And and for several weeks now, until last week, I've been praying, I've been preaching on the difference in the flesh and the spirit, the two ends. All through January. And God was preparing us to tell us that it's time. It's time. Turn to me now while it is time. And it's time to present a clear distinction between us and the ungodly. It's time to prepare ourselves for the hour of temptation. We're getting a redo here. We saw what happened to Peter, James, and John. Jesus says, pray with me, pray with me. Could you not stay awake one hour? and Then they went to sleep again. He he told them three times, come on, guys, come on. And he's telling us again today, come on, guys. Do more than just talk. Stay awake. Spiritually awake. Remind yourself who you belong to. Who you are in Christ. Cleanse this temple. Remove any obstacles between you and Jesus. Get that plunger out. And get to the heart of the matter. Go directly to the source. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be asleep when Jesus comes back. The Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. God put everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness is already in your heart when you gave your heart to Jesus. Your salvation package, the zoe life, that means the the God kind of life, is already in your heart. And he's saying, work it out. Work it out. With fear and trembling. And it's time. Like never before for us to begin to live out of our heart, this new spirit that God, to choose the spirit over the flesh. It's time for us to begin to walk out of what God intended for us to walk out of, out of this new covenant life. It's time for us to live out our good intentions instead of just declaring that I had good intentions. Amen. Am I, it looks like I've scared some people here. You got to forgive me, I got this football coach thing in me. When I get something in my heart, man, I want you to get it, and I and I'm I'm trying to encourage you. And God gives me these things, and I want to do my very best job to tell you what He is giving me to tell you. So sometimes I get a little excited. Please, I'm not I'm not yelling at you, I'm yelling for our team. <laughs> but it's time to stop running from our spiritual enemies. It's time to get them to running. It's time to send the devil running. You know, we're praying for the rapture. Why don't we get the devil to start praying for the rapture? He's the one who needs to be praying for the rapture. God, please get your people out of here. They're crazy. I can't get anything done down here with those folks. They're praying and fasting. And Lord, please bring the rapture. <laughs> That's the way the devil needs to be praying. It's time for people to ha- stop asking, are you a Christian? Oh, I didn't even know that. Really? I am too. We've been working together five years. We never- I didn't know. There was no signs. <laughs> God's glory should be all over our faces. It should, it should, nobody should have to ask, are we a Christian? You know, you remember Moses, his face shown that they had to put a veil over him? What made Moses shine? What made Moses different? I'll tell you, Moses was willing to climb the mountain. When everybody else was satisfied sitting at the foot of the mountain, drinking and partying and pegging reverie, the Bible says, I don't even know what that means. But it means they weren't paying attention. And they had built themselves idle. And they were just having a good time. But Moses was willing to take the steps. One at a time. Up Mount Sinai. To be with God. To see God face to face. He was willing to pay the price. Forty days Moses was up there. And he fasted. For forty days up there. I've never seen once in the, in the scriptures where it says Moses complained about fasting and no food and water for 40 days. Because when you're in the presence of God, you got everything you need. Isn't that what Jesus said? i got meat you know not of. In his presence is everything you need. And Moses, was, he was happy up on the mountaintop. And God was happy that somebody came up to see him. And he got some tablets of stone and God himself with his own finger wrote the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stones and gave them to Moses. So Moses would have something to come down and bless the people with. And those Ten Commandments have blessed the people ever since. It's keep people from killing one another. And it showed them the law. And and the law has showed us our guilt. And our guilt has led us to our Savior. Because one man was willing to climb the mountain. But the first time Moses came down with those two tablets, and he saw all those knuckleheads down there having an orgy at the bottom of the mountain and worshiping a golden calf, what did Moses do? He got mad. And he threw God's tablets down and burst them. His first reaction was in the flesh. But you know what Moses did? He went back up the mountain. He spent another 40 days. I don't know if he ate in between or not. Maybe he fasted for 80 days. That's, that's a miracle. The first 40 was a miracle too. But he went back up the mountain. Then God gave, did it again. And he brought him back down. <laughs> There's a principle here. Moses brought the praises up the mountain. And God sent the glory back down with him. Moses brought the praises up and God brought the glory down. Moses brought the praises up and God brought the glory down. And he came down and the people could not stand to look at him for the radiance of his face. And they had to put a veil over him. And then it says that... That when Moses would speak with God, he would take the veil off and he would speak with God. And then he would put the veil on and he would go back and he would tell the people. When he would tell the people what God said, he would take the veil off. And they could stand it to hear what God was saying. But then he would have to put it on when he got through talking to them. And that kind of seems like today. It kind of seems like we can only give them so much God and then they back off. The glory of God, you 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 can witness too hard today. You got to pick your battles. You got to know when to open up the veil and tell them the word of God. But it's that glory on your face that makes it real. It's that glory on your face that makes it real. And if you ain't spent no time with God, you ain't got no glory. Exodus thirty four twenty nine says when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. When you climb that mountain and you spend time with God, your life begins to shine. And that's what this lo- this world needs to hear. That's what this world needs to see. You see, that's what the devil is after. He's after the glory. He doesn't want you to shine And he knows how to steal it from you. See, he plays on your fleshly appetites. The devil knows the difference in the two ends of the spectrum. He's okay with you working in the flesh. He wants to get you all stirred up in the flesh. But we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle that we're fighting. If you're mad at the people, if you're mad at the Republicans, you're mad at the Democrats, you're mad at the politicians, you're mad at the homosexuals, you're mad at this, you're mad at whatever group, you're fighting the people, you're working at it from the wrong end. You're not going to reach them by alienating them. You're going to reach them by the love of God and the things of the spirit. That's what's going to change this nation. the devil came to jesus during his fast in the wilderness so so the devil he's naturally minded he's a spirit but he's stupid no but he's smart enough to fool most of us but he came to jesus at the end of the fast he's figuring well you know since he's put himself under that he'll be weak now and, and he'll be so weak that I'll be able to trick him. So he came to him at the end of the fast and he said, Jesus, if you're the son of God, take these stones and make them bread and get yourself something to eat. See, so he's playing to his fleshly appetite. The devil always plays to our appetites. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he pointed him, no, nope, I have meat that you know not of. And so the devil took him up on the temple mount. He said, well, if you be the son of God, jump off. The angel, the scriptures say that the angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus looked at him and said, it is also written that thou shalt not be idiot. <laughs> thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. See, what was the devil doing? He was playing to, to his his fleshly desire to say hey watch me human pride look what i can do head games that's exactly what he was doing trying to trip jesus up make him think that he could he could show himself as somebody by jumping off then he took him up on the high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world he said you can have all these things if you'll just bow down and serve me and jesus said thou shalt serve the lord god and him only shalt thou serve are you kidding me What was he doing? He was, the devil was trying to tempt him with our appetite for power and wealth and things. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life and all these things. The the devil has these same old tools. He's got nothing new, no new tricks. But that's okay because the old ones are working fine with most people. He's found what works. He's simplified and he stays with it. But see, Jesus had fasted. He didn't know that because Jesus had fasted and put the flesh under, these things didn't appeal to him anymore. He had put the flesh under and and his appetite for those things. Well, Jesus probably never had an appetite for those things. He wasn't born into sin like we are. But you can see where you may have had an appetite for those things. But Fasting, Jesus was showing us the way to put this flesh under and get control of the decisions that we make. Because many of the decisions that we make in our life is based off how we feel right now in the flesh. What we want in the flesh. And we're making bad decisions. Philippians 3.19 talks about people who are just ruled by their flesh. And their appetites says whose end is destruction and whose God is their belly. Their belly rules them, whatever their appetite is today. That's what they're going to do. Good or bad. This thing right here is making their decisions. And whose glory is in their shame. See, they don't have glory. Of God. Because they're not spending time with God. They're working from the wrong end. And who's set their minds. On what? Earthly things. We're supposed to keep our mind on heavenly things. And so even Christians. Especially Christians. You know. God's a good dad. And sometimes he has to to remove his hand of protection from your life to allow you to experience where some of those appetites that you have are leading. And some of us are just like all the time feeling like, man, I don't understand. I'm a Christian and I'm going through this. I'm going through that. My life seems like it's one hard lesson learned after another. Well, thank goodness you're learning lessons. But if we would learn the lesson, then God would keep his hand of protection over us and not, not allow us to experience some of these things. Hebrews 12, 11 says no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. God is trying to get us to a place of right living 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, If we would examine ourselves. You tired of going around the same old mountain? You tired of God's discipline? Examine yourself. And we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we would not be condemned along with the world. God is trying to bring us out. He's trying to make us separate to teach us lessons so that we will not be condemned with the world. And if we would examine ourselves, whoa, that's a novel new idea, isn't it? Not, not just let ourselves have rule and dominion, but examine ourselves according to the word of God, if it's the way we're living. And then maybe God could Give us the blessings that he so longs to give into our lives and not have to discipline us all the time. So many things that we blame on the devil. The devil might not have anything to do with it. We've been talking about the hands the last two weeks. God, how he breaks it down and makes things plain. I got some hands for you today. Do you want to be like Esau? Or do you want to be like Jacob? There were two brothers in the Bible. Those of you who know Esau, you know that he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. In other words, his fleshly appetite. He said, I choose just a bowl of stew. Just feed feed my flesh. Feed my flesh and I'll be fine. I don't care about that birthright. See, his birthright, was his spiritual blessing over his life. He gave that away for a bowl of stew. Now his brother, Jacob, was the one who made the trade. But you think, well, I don't want to be like Jacob either. Jacob was a swindler. He was always doing stupid stuff and he was always out for himself. He was fleshly too. Yes, he absolutely was. But see, God trained him. Over a, a series of time, he allowed Jacob to be swindled to see what it's like, to, feel, to know what it, his actions are making other people feel like. He got swindled for 14 years by his uncle Laban. Read the story for yourself. I ain't got time to go into it. But Jacob got tired of all this discipline, and on the way back one night to uh, leaving Laban's house, he wrestled with God on the banks of the Jabbok River. And he got to wrestling with God. And you could just sense the desperation in Jacob. His brother is coming to kill and meet him. And he knows he's going he's gonna to be mad. Because he's been after him all these years. And he wrestles with God. And finally Jacob just says. I just want to wrestle with you God. And he won't let go. And he wouldn't let go of God. He said I ain't letting go until you bless me. And so I'm asking you. Are you so quick to give up on your spiritual blessings for a bowl of this world's soup? A big mixture of all the little sin and the pleasures of this world. Or or have you come to a point like Jacob where you're tired of being a swindler, you're tired of playing the world's games, and you're ready to wrestle with God and say, I'm not letting go until you bless me. The hands. (laughs) I say it's time to elect a new sheriff in town. To put God back on the throne of our lives. John 4.24 says, God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him. How? In spirit and truth. See, God is a spirit. Jesus was born in a human form so that we could see what God looks like in the spirit. The father. But God the Father is a spirit. And so what he did was he put his spirit in our hearts. So that now we're our spirits alive unto God. And we were supposed to have crucified that old flesh when we got baptized. When we got saved. And put it under. So that we could live in this newness of life. Old things have gone. Behold, all things have become new. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm supposed to live in the Spirit. I'm supposed to be victorious. We're... God never... I, I, bet, I bet He's up here scratching His head. Okay, so I, I gave Him my Spirit and, and my son died and his, gave all His blood so that they could live a new life and they're still digging up that dead man and living in the old nature? Wow! They're still digging out in the cotton field. I I don't know how. (laughs) You know, carnal Christians, they're not bringing glory to God. If you call yourself a Christian, but you are living like the world, you're bringing shame to God. You're not bringing glory to God. And it's our job is to reflect His glory to this world. We are not entering in to the first phase of God's plan for our life until we surrender and let His Spirit be in control of our lives. Let's talk for a moment about this fast. Is anybody excited about it? Has this preaching got you excited? That, that I know there's going to be some people saying, oh, I ain't for all that because you're flesh. But there's some people that's being stirred. There's some people that that are excited for this opportunity to do a reset in my life because I realize my fleshly appetites have taken over and I have lost my first love and I need to be rekindled again. And I realize that God is looking to and fro and looking for somebody who will say, here I am, Lord. I'll be your glory on this earth. I'll climb the mountain. I'll plunge my heart out and give it to you. All right, I'm going to slow down for a minute and try to tell you about this fast. This fast is going to begin this Thursday night at midnight. And it'll go through the 21st of February at midnight. A full 21 days. It may be 22, I don't know, but but that's the way I saw it. Now you're saying, Pastor, when most people hear the word fast, they're thinking full food fast. I'm not eating for 21 days. And, I, and there's probably why only one of you is sitting in here saying, I'm going to do it. No, that's not what we're talking about. Let me make this plain before we get started. We are not looking for anybody in here to, to hurt themselves. To damage themselves to to prove how spiritual more spiritual you are than anybody else. If you're doing any for any of those reasons, you're doing it for the wrong reason. A fast, a food fast, can be you. Hey, I'm just going to fast. I'm not going to eat bread for 21 days. Partial food fast. Uh, me personally, I'm thinking along the lines of maybe uh, skipping a meal every day, like lunch or something, and only eating breakfast and dinner. I mean, I, I, I'll be fine. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to die from that. Now, if you're planning on doing a food fast and you're on medication, or uh, you, you have an illness, or you're older, I would advise you to maybe talk to your doctor and say what kind of fast would be healthy for me. Because you don't have to do a food fast. You can you could fast media. You could fast maybe something else has got a hold of your life. One of them play box things. What are they called? Playstations. Maybe you got, there's other fleshly things that are kind of control. Whatever's kind of controlled in your life, that might be a good thing to pick. And say, God, I'm going to give this up for 21 days because I want to put my flesh under and I want to show you and I want you to help me put my spirit back on the throne of my life. Your spirit in my life back on the throne. And that's what this is. It's not a chance for you to show how super spiritual you are and to hurt yourself. It's not a, a chance. It is a way... Simply for you to get a hold of this thing. Who's running your life? You were bought with a price. And your body is the Lord's. And so we're just trying to get a proper perspective. So choose what you're going to fast between now and Thursday. Let me say this. You can pray about it. And I, and I, I never tell anybody not to pray about anything. But it's been my experience. When I pray about what should I fast or if I pray about what should I give God typically does not give me an answer. And I begin to think about that and I believe it is because God when you give something to God, he doesn't want to dictate to you what you give to him. He wants it to come from your heart. That's just my experience. You may pray and he may say, this is exactly what I want you to do. So pray or whatever, whatever you're, but, but check your heart and say, okay, if if your flesh is totally out of control and you're like, uh, you know, I can't give up cigarettes. I can't give up this drinking. I can't, uh, maybe you can just give up. I'm just not going to say any cuss words for 21 days where start where you're at. Okay. If your flesh is totally out of control, don't make over-promise, I'm not eating any food for 21 days, and by the lunch the first day, you done broke the fast. Well, I skipped breakfast. No, don't make a vow before the Lord that you're not going to keep. So be realistic in your vow. You know, it might be just I'm not I'm taking Facebook off my phone, and I'm not looking at it for 21 days. I know <laughs> some of you cannot imagine that. But there was a day before cell phones, and people did just fine, right? Any questions? Yeah. yeah, that's true. At the end of a fast, the devil—that's that, his playground. He loves to hit you. That's when he came to Jesus, and and you're, if you come off of it thinking I'm going fixing to go back into the flesh and and just make up for lost time, the devil will hit you. So so be careful. I, I remember I fasted one time for like seven days with no food and only water only. And when I came off that fast, I could not wait for that first meal. Man, I. And 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 I had that first meal, and and it it was like a bowl of cereal. It was like a frosted mini wheats or something. And I put that first one in my mouth, and I tried to chew. And my sinuses—something had happened to them for not eating for that long—and it just hurt the roof of my mouth. Hurt so bad I couldn't even enjoy it. But uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yes like i said please nobody play superhero start if you've never fasted before just say i'm not going to look at my phone for lunch or something okay just start where you are what we're trying to do is start a process of saying, God, I want you to be in control of my life. Fasting is a way to put your flesh under and let your and hear from your spirit. Now, don't forget that the, this is not fasting only. This is fasting and prayer. So what you do as you starve this flesh, you, you let go of the flesh, you grab hold of the things of the spirit. If you're just letting go of the flesh, and not grabbing hold of the spirit, we're missing the point. So if you say, if you did say, I'm not going to eat lunch for 21 days, but but use that lunch period to get in the Word of God and feed your spirit. It's a trade-off. And I will also announce this. Every day of the 21 fast, 21-day 21 fast from February 1st to February 21st, this, the doors of the sanctuary will be open for a time of prayer In the sanctuary from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. every afternoon, except on Sundays, because we go to the jail on Sunday afternoons. So on Sundays, it'll be from 5 to 6. Today, I mean, next Sunday will be from 5 to 6, time of prayer. But every other day of the week, the sanctuary will be open from 6.30 to 7.30. You get off work. You want to come. It's not going to be an official sanctioned prayer where we're all going to sit in a. except on Tuesday. We'll do our normal prayer on Tuesday where we get all get together for passion prayer. But Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and so on, um, it'll be you can come in here, sit in a chair. You can come to the altar and kneel. You can, some people like to walk when they pray. I just hope that people come and we, we hook up. And if you want to get together and, and pray with others, That would be fine, but I'm just not. I'm saying we're not putting any structure or any rules on that. Just the 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 doors will be open for one hour in the afternoons um, for this whole 21 day fast. Uh, I would, you know, when you fast, you should ask God for something. You should say, God, I'm fasting, and this is what I want to get out of it. And He He wants you to do that. He wants to get things to you, like I have explained. So ask God, Lord, I'm planning on doing this fast, and these are the reasons. I, I want you. I want to be closer to you. I want, I want to be able to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I want to be able to lay hands on people and see them filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be better in my witness. Lord, I want this. I, I, Lord, I need the finances to pay off my car. I, Lord, I need this. Ask God for something during this fast now don't expect it to happen during the fast or, or even immediately after the fast usually the benefits this is planting a seed and it takes time for the seed to come up sometimes you may not even realize what you got till many years later i didn't realize but you know that time i fasted after that we might not even recognize all the results of what god was doing after that fast but if he can get a hold of your heart and you can put him back on the throne of your life my goodness, that right there is blessing enough. So ask God and write down the reasons you're fasting. All the things that we've been talking about, putting your flesh under and how you you want to, uh, to dig from the right end and you want to see your nation changed and we're praying and believing for God to change America and we're believing for God to change me and for the glory and all these things. Write them down while you're doing it and what you're believing God for. And then on that second day, when that, it seems really tough and your stomach's growling wrong, oh, feed me, feed me, feed me. And you're like, I can't do this. Get that list out and say, yes, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And remind yourself who you belong to. Remind yourself why you're doing this. Matthew six sixteen. Oh, my goodness. That clock's wrong. We're not going to worry about that clock. It's wrong. Matthew 6, 16 says, and Jesus said, and when you fast. He didn't say if you do. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled. Oh, man. They get on Facebook, I'm fasting. Somebody help me, please. Y'all don't know. (laughs) But that's what the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. He said, I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. If you do that and you let everybody know you're fasting and make a big deal out of a spectacle, whatever attention you get because of it, that's all you're going to get. God's not going to bless that. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything, Will reward you. I want God's reward, not man's reward. Okay. I think the King James says, "What you do in secret, God will, will reward you openly." So you're about to tap in to God's blessing. You don't realize the things that how God has longed for you to get a a grip on your life, and how the things that, that He has held back from you because He couldn't bless you with things that you would use for your own flesh. Because what does it say in James? We ask, but we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own selves. The blessings that God really wants to give to your life, you're about to open the door for it. The storehouse. To get answers to questions that that may have been hidden from you. Answers that may impact your life going forward in ways that you can't imagine. Hope is going to begin to arise in your heart again. Again. And all things are going to begin to seem possible. And God may speak to the storms in your life. God will begin to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Things might fall off your life you didn't even know was there because of your flesh. Sickness. Disease. Recurrent patterns of illness. Just the blahs. Addictions. Curses. Generational things that are on your life because your flesh is controlled and those things just grow in the flesh. Ungodly ways of thinking, patterns that have held you captive for all these years. When you put the Spirit in control, they begin to melt away. And my hope is that through this fast, that you begin to discover your love for Jesus like never before. Not only rekindle the fire, but uh, burn brighter than you ever have. And you you understand that your salvation, the best part of it is the relationship with Jesus. It's not just the stuff. It's not God's strong right arm that we're after. It's His face. Moses went up there to see His face. Moses And Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. But see, the problem is we've been chasing the things. But you seek God's face for this 21 days, and it's going to change you. It's not that these 21 days are, that's all we got to do and it's over with, but it is setting a new habit and a new pattern and a new lifestyle and putting a new sheriff on the throne of your heart. Does that make sense? We've been digging at the wrong end for too long, Papa. This is God's way. God always begins His work on the inside. Have you noticed that? He doesn't start working on your behavior and your the, those things. He starts working on your heart. And a wise man digs deep. Isn't that what she, the scripture she put up there? The wise man, he didn't just throw up a house on the sand. He dug deep and built a foundation. And this is building, this is foundation stuff. We're getting God back on the throne of our life. So let's join him and start digging deep. It's 21 days. Are you ready? I believe God has called this church for this time. And we're going to we're gonna see it. We're going to see the benefits as a church, as a whole. Certainly as individuals. But we're going to see the growth that we have been praying for for the last 25 years here at the Passion Church. If we will join together and we will make this commitment to the Lord. Thanks for listening to the podcast today.